I want to tell you something, and that is operating a food company has been one of the most challenging endeavors of my life. From innovating products that we want to land at the intersection of taste and nutrition, to wrestling with supply chain issues and managing inventory, I have had more sleepless nights in the past three years than I have in the last 30, including the 12 when I was a firefighter. But no one tells you that food is hard. But I also want to say, it's because of each of you that we continue to get in the trenches day after day after day. It's in our core values to keep at it, knowing that we are filling a giant void in the market with products that you can't find anywhere else. And this makes it easier for us to climb out of bed each day. I want to thank you for your patience. We are anxiously awaiting the return of our organic pancake and waffle mixes. And we're excited to announce that our Plant Strong milks will be available online later this week, followed soon thereafter by the return of our exciting new burger mixes. Our goal is to be your reliable and trustworthy partner for all things Plant Strong, allowing you to stock up on healthy meals that you can make and enjoy in minutes while still managing your busy lives. I appreciate each and every one of you and want you to know that the effort will be worth it once more brands start to care about the integrity of the nutrition that they're putting into their products. Thank you so much for your support and please stay tuned for exciting updates at planstrong.com. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I'm not an adventure seeker. I'm none of those things. I was there with a very, very definite agenda just to prove, to show people, not to force people, but just to make this a fact that, you know, if you do have any ideas that vegans are weak or can't sustain performance or can't operate in over endurance, I can, and you can too, if you choose to take this lifestyle. Season three of the Plant Strong podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world through a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Our 10th anniversary Plant Stock celebration is online and on sale. Grab a friend and join us virtually from September 8th to the 12th as we honor all the progress that's been made over the last decade with the science, with the food, and with the movement as a whole. It is nothing short of phenomenal what has happened. This will be the perfect way to invite that family member who desperately needs a green leafy intervention to come take a drink from the fire hose and learn everything they can about the why and the how of Plant Strong Living. And in honor of our 10th anniversary and as part of my mission to reach as many people as possible with the good news about plants, group tickets are just $10 a piece when you buy five. 
10 bucks gets you access to life-changing information to help start or strengthen your plan strong journey. Our lineup this year includes the ultimate Brock stars. Can you say T. Colin Campbell, Caldwell Esselstyn, Dr. Michael Greger, Dr. Michael Clapper, Christy Funk, Will Bolshewitz, the Shurzais, the list goes on and on and on. Don't miss out. Visit planstrong.com slash planstock to sign up today. Hey, everyone. This is Rip Esselstyn, the host of the Plan Strong podcast. And I've got a really special episode for you today. Um, this may be the most remarkably authentic conversations that I've ever had with another person on the podcast. And this conversation is with Fiona Oaks. She um, and I talk for about 90 minutes. And if you're willing to listen to all 90 minutes, I think you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about here. Fiona gives absolutely everything she has to the advocacy work that she's doing for the animals at the farm sanctuary she runs in the UK called Tower Hill Stables Animal Sanctuary and across the globe, including satellite sanctuaries in Afghanistan and Russia. And she she's one of the premier runners on the planet. She is now in her mid-50s. She has four Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, she is the fastest woman to run a marathon on all seven continents. She has a PR in the marathon of two hours and 38 minutes. Uh, she's run marathons uh, in both the North Pole and Antarctica. She has done the Marathon de Saab, which is a 156-mile run through the Sahara Desert. It's completely self-supported. She's done that three times. There's actually a documentary that was made about her called Running for Good, and I highly recommend that everybody watch. But she, she is the hardest working woman that I have ever in, encountered. She wakes up at 3.30 a.m. every day to feed close to 600 animals. She goes to bed at 10 p.m. And in between there, she finds time to run 100 miles a week. She typically eats one meal a day in the evening. She doesn't have time for, for, for bathing, so she takes a very quick shower. She really seems to thrive on suffering and pain, which you'll understand when you listen to this episode. And she does everything, everything for the animals and to spread the, the vegan message um, and for us to lead a cruelty-free life. I am convinced that by listening to this, it will make you and all of us more compassionate and better humans. So thank you, Fiona Oaks. I loved this conversation, and I so admire the fantastic work that you are doing. Thanks. Fiona Oaks, I want to welcome you to the Plant Strong podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, on season three of, of the show. Um, and let me just start by asking you, Fiona, I don't think I know anyone else that's a Fiona in my, in my life. Uh, is that, is that kind of common over in the UK? Um, not 
common. Um, my mum chose the name. Uh, it was quite unusual when she chose it, but she just loved it. And we've got Scottish background and it's a Scottish name. So, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it's not mega common, but it's not unique or unusual. Right, right. I think the only other time I've heard Fiona is in the Shrek movies, I think. The princess yeah. Fiona, right? Oh, well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm not quite a princess, but yeah, I am a Fiona. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, your story is so remarkable. I know that you are so kind of modest and humble and unassuming that you don't, I think, maybe see what, what other people see in the amazing work that you do and you're running for the advocacy of the animals. Um, but you literally are like running for the lives of, of animals and the farm sanctuary that you started in the late 1990s. I have no idea in 2021, how many animals do you have on the Tower Hill Stables Farm Sanctuary? There are about 500 altogether. We've got uh, cattle, sheep, pigs, horses, goats, obviously chickens, geese, swans, peacocks, turkeys. You know, we've got the full remit of uh, menagerie, so to speak. Um, it's hard work. It, you know, um, it's um, it's always been my passion. I don't, I don't even see it as hard work, actually. I mean, I, uh, I famously get up at 3.30 in the morning and I have done for decades. And I go out there and every day it's a joy to be out amongst them. That's <laughs> why I live. That's why I breathe. That's, that's all I do. It's um, all I think about. Yeah. So 3.30 a.m., what, if, you, if you're getting up at 3.30, what time do you go to sleep at night? Well, I usually say I go to sleep when I finish my work. Um, probably on average around about 10 p.m. I don't need an awful lot of sleep. I, I really don't. I get about five, probably five hours, five and a half hours a night of quality. I don't rest in the day either. My day is, is really is full on. And indeed, when um, Keegan came to make the film Running for Good, um, I, I think he was kind of sceptical. Is this really, you know, is this really what happens? And uh, it is. It's just, you know, um, there's so much to do. But I kind of thrive on work. I'm a very disciplined person. Um, I think that the discipline that I've... I get through my running helps me with my day-to-day -day life as well. Um, but um, I, I see every, every, every task as an opportunity to achieve a little bit more and do more for the animals. And I also feel very, very blessed that I'm able to continue doing it. I don't see, I kind of, you know, the kind of the cup's half empty or half full. Yes. Sometimes when you've got a hard session to do, or you've got a lot of, work to do out there I kind of look and think I'm privileged to be able to go out there and do it because so many aren't so many you know health is wealth especially now with this pandemic and you know okay I don't fly out of bed at 3 30 every morning and think you know way you know start the day um but um you know I, I just feel that I'm I'm very lucky to be able to live the life I do yeah yeah I'm trying to think where I want to, where I want to go to like start un unpacking this amazing like life that you've led. So let me just start with this. So the whole, the whole premise around season three of the Plant Strong podcast is asking people to help us identify what, what was their Galileo moment. So your moment when you were kind of looking through that telescope and you saw the truth as far as like, wow, you know what? 
I want to live a cruelty-free life. Mm-hmm. I want to be vegan. Mm-hmm. And, and that has kind of defined and informed your, your life's work and your life's path. Mm-hmm. But when did that start for you, Fiona? It, it started, honestly, it started before I can even remember it starting. I, um, I have to rely on my mum's information. She said I was a very headstrong child. She could see I was different, very different to my sister. Um, never really interested in what you would call conventional toys or conventional play. It was always all about animals from a very, very small child. Total rejection of eating meat um from probably two or three years old it wouldn't even didn't even want it on my palate my plate didn't didn't want that didn't know why just rejected um and then probably when I was four five six years old started to ask kind of questions of my mom where do other products come from you know why does the chicken give us her, her eggs and I was very lucky in that my mom chose to inform herself and then allow me if you like to um follow this lifestyle i didn't it was a reaction against cruelty it wasn't a decision i was too young to make a decision and i wasn't familiar with the word vegan i was familiar with the principles behind veganism um in terms of the fact that i just didn't want to harm animals my i've always seen any animal anywhere geography is not important to me never has been when it comes to animals or people i see them as my extended family and much as i would not want to hurt another individual a human individual i would not want to hurt another animal and that's the honest truth i mean at the minute um i'm quite concerned because i've got a small rescue in afghanistan in kabul which I'm very, very concerned about. And we've been running that for over two or three years. I've got another little rescue in Russia. I don't see geography when it comes to animals. I just see animals that need help. And if I can in some way assist, I will. Um, So the animals at the sanctuary here, I don't consider I own animals in the conventional way. I'm very blessed to have them as my companions and them to be around me and fortunate enough to be able to care for them. But um, honestly, I see us all as a global community Mm. of of sentient beings, whether we be human or animal. And that's how I've always been. I can't remember feeling any different. It's actually integral to my soul. I, 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 I think I am completely normal in terms of and I am completely normal for me. But, yeah, people do think the lifestyle is is um, unusual, if you like, less so now. Because this is like, you know, in the early 1970s, in a small, sleepy town um, in, in, in Middle England, I come from a very, very kind of working class background as well. I mean, I, I don't come from some sort of kind of um, bohemian kind of um, alternative background, very conventional in that my mum was a music teacher and then she, her lifelong ambition was to be a nurse. And she went nursing when I was um, probably about 10 years old. And my dad was um, in the mining industry, he actually was a miner. And um, during the 1980s in the UK, Uh, that industry was decimated by the government. So my dad was like on strike a lot. So we had no income coming into the house on my dad's side. We were completely reliant on my mom. And um, this was before a time of furlough or uh, uh, food banks 
uh, we were advised as a family that if we needed food, we would go to a soup kitchen. Um, and that was for a year, a whole year. Um, so I, as I say, I mean, I don't see myself as a victim because of that. I think it's probably made me stronger. And I, I honestly feel that I'm very blessed to live in a country where there was aid for us in terms of a soup kitchen. I didn't find it in any way degrading. There was aid out there and there was food out there for us. Um, but um, yeah, um, it, it, it is, I, I just see what I do as, as very normal. I kind of think everyone's got like 500 animals and, 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 and runs marathons in deserts and, and the North Pole or wherever they might be and, and gets up at 3.30 in the morning and, and truly believes in what I believe in. I, I, it's hard. It's really, really tough. I don't think I, I'm nothing special. And that's kind of my message to people. I am nothing special. Really, I am not. If I can do this just through self-belief, grit and determination, anyone can achieve anything. And I'm so keen, you know, let's put aside, let's not exploit our differences to divide us. Let's celebrate our similarities to strengthen us as a global community. And that, that's what it's all about for me. Well, I think in order to have that grit and that determination and that work ethic, that you that you described, you kind of have to find that passion in your heart that drives you. And, and, and once you find it, it probably makes it a lot easier to get up at 3.30 and work until, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. nine o'clock and, and all that. But it's still, to me, there's something so remarkable about the physicality of what you do day in and day out the the mental fortitude that it that it takes to do what you do day in and day out uh the fact that it sounds like you hardly ever get a break and if you do have a break maybe it's when you go in and do a race mm. or, or something like that yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 and then yeah. and then but but then what happens do you then like ask martin your mm. your your partner to to toe the line back at the uh, the sanctuary, or do you have a bunch of volunteers that are jumping in and helping? I've got people here that obviously help and oversee when I'm away, um, and um, I'm, I'm, I don't actually go away that that often, to be honest with you. I mean, that's the thing with my, my running that I think is the most unusual thing when people ask me about my running. Um, I started running purely as an end game to promoting veganism about 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, I got the sanctuary back in the late 90s, as you said. It was a lifelong ambition to actually nurture and care for animals. That was the obvious next progression from being vegan. I did have problems during my teenage years in terms of the fact that I was hospitalized quite a lot because I'd got an orthopedic condition. Um, and I had 17 surgeries resulting in my kneecap being removed. And I was told I wouldn't walk again properly, let alone be able to run. So that was a slight hiatus problem for me to get over. Uh, but the dream was to have a sanctuary, um, tick that one off. Uh, but I realized very quickly that although I could rescue animals and physically help the ones at the sanctuary, uh, that was like a minuscule, tiny amount to what actually with the cruelty and exploitation that was out there to the billions of animals that go through these horrible industries um, every day. Um, so I kind of thought, you know, at this point, 
well, I'm strong, I'm fit, I'm healthy, I'm, I'm like a firefighter, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm physically doing like all this work at the sanctuary. And I wanted to just show the world that vegans are not weak. Being vegan is not prohibitive to doing anything. And that was very much the myth and the idea at the time. So um, I kind of, well, I'm, I'm kind of physically kind of I'm leaning towards physical things um so sports the obvious one but women's sport generally especially back then didn't garner the attention that men's sport does apart from in the UK marathon running because the prodigious success that Paula Radcliffe was having yeah so the idea originally even though I'd been told you're not going to be able to walk properly again let alone run um was to idea to compete in and hopefully be able to complete a marathon because it had got all the hashtags attached to it you know this is the toughest sport physically and mentally you need endurance you need determination you need mental fortitude that's what I was trying to prove veganism vegans can have you know so um I thought you know okay I'll just enter a marathon and see if I can get round and obviously I did um two years later I was actually oh, wait, let, me ask, let, let me stop you for a sec how did you do in that first marathon um, I ran three twelve. You ran a three twelve. Did you train appropriately for it? Did you not? Not. Re- I mean, no. Um, well, the idea was at the time. Bearing in mind, this is before the internet. Before, oh, just go and Google some three hour marathon, or just write to somebody on Facebook. There was none of that, and I think that's what the younger generation sometimes don't. You know, it's hard yeah. to explain to them. It, I kind of tell people. I mean. This isn't exactly prehistoric times. I wasn't battling Tyrannosaurus Rexons to get around, but it's kind of before they can actually remember. So if you wanted to contact someone, you've got to have their address and write them a letter. You've got to have their phone number to call them, you know, that sort of thing on the landline. And so um, it was just the idea that I would go out and I would do a lot of running and that would get me physically in shape to be able to run a marathon or get round a marathon so specific training no I didn't realize that to get to the next level you've got to start doing specific training it's just that if you've if you're familiar with running the miles you'll probably be able to complete the event that was the whole the thing yeah. when, um, when, when did you run that first marathon do you remember what year that was uh, about two, two, 2001 or two uh, I can't really remember I don't really document them very much oh. back to two um but then after doing that, I thought, well, actually, hang on, how I've got round, it's not that bad. Yeah. How do I improve? And that was a challenge, you know, working out something that suited me, a regime, a routine that sort of could, could get the speed up, basically, to get to the pace that you can run these races. Um, and um, yeah, it kind of went from there. And in a couple of years, I was uh, literally lining up on the elite start next to Paula Radcliffe. And that's why. I started the Vegan Runner Club uh, back in the UK because the whole idea was I can't go round and address X amount of people and say, hello, my name's Fiona and I'm vegan. Have you ever thought about going plant-based yourself? Can't do that. So the, the kind of idea behind it was if they see the vegan word, the word vegan, attached to a runner on their vest that's going into the elite start, yeah. It, it, the equation is there vegan equals excellence that that was it um and uh, yeah started vegan runners back in 2004 um my running I, I tried to get a coach actually at that point to help me um but they were saying look 
you've obviously got some ability, but um, you, we're not going to help you because it's going to be investing an awful lot of time and your diet is going to be prohibitive to really improving to the next level. And you're going to find that when you do start doing the harder sessions, you're not going to be able to cope. You're not going to be able to sustain it. Oh, they said the wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so um, it was, well, the diet, in, in essence, the veganism is the only real reason I'm out there in the first place. Yeah. So that's not negotiable. So it was, uh, my running has been basically trial and error. It is an awful lot of trials and an awful lot of errors uh, to get me where I am. But um, yeah, um, so I only did, did two marathons a year, no other races. I, I just didn't, I don't have a coach. I don't have a physio. I don't have, I've never had a massage in my life. Really? Uh, no, I don't have anything. Um, no, I, you don't have, you don't ask like one of the, the pigs or goats to give you a little like. <laughs> well, the horses are pretty good and the cows that like, they think massaging me is just knocking me on the ground and sort of like playing with me. Like, but no, I, I don't have anything fancy. And, and this, oh. is, um, this is another point I try to make to people. It can be done. You yeah. know, it can be done. I don't have any, um, I don't take any supplements. I don't have any special diet. Um, I, I, funny well, enough, you, do. you do have a special diet. Well, yeah, the yeah. whole diet is special, you know. Um, but I don't have anything what I would call fancy. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And um, it can be done very basically. Finance is always at the forefront of my mind because obviously my money is needed for the animals at the sanctuary. So I'm very, very careful. I'm probably with like 500 mouths to feed. Mine is the one that I'm thinking about last rather than first. Um, so I do, I used to do two races a year purely because um, I would get invited to go. So, you know, Mark Mild at Berlin might ring me and say, um, or contact me and say, you know, um, do you want to come to, you know, make up the, the elite start, the ladies race in the Berlin Marathon? Uh, yes, please. Um, so we pay your fare out here, give you a hotel and give you a free place in the race. Yeah. So, yeah, it made financial and actual physical sense to do that because it wasn't going to cost me anything to go to a race. And I was only going to be away for a couple of days from the sanctuary. And the rest of the training I have done completely alone on my own, my knee is so bad, the right knee, in for certain things, not for, not for everything, but for certain sort of bending and sort of manipulation that I can't do speed work on a track. I can't run the bends, the multiple bends. All my speed work I have done on my treadmill and oh. the longer runs I do on uh, the road or on, on trails. And um, I used to, a, a marathon training program would probably be 13 weeks and it would be 10, 10 or 12 weeks of really hard training and then focusing on the taper. And the hard training would be 100 mile a week, three speed sessions, uh, a hill session on a Friday, yeah. a, a longer midweek run and a conventional long run on a Sunday. And I used to sustain that year in, year out. Now, are you are you wearing any kind of like a watch that lets you know your your pace or your mileage or anything like that? No, don't have anything. I wear a, a, a Iron Man Timex. Yeah, I've had this years. In fact, yeah, the old um, it it it's broken, so it's it's three minutes fast. So if I'm timing myself, I have to factor in the fact it's three minutes fast. <laughs> you know, um, I people have said to me, I've worn Garmin's and stuff at races, yeah. you know, and stuff, but. I don't use them. I don't use anything. I don't use Strava. I don't use anything, uh, an app or anything like that. And 
well, I can say this tongue in cheek. We have the most sophisticated computers known to man about our person. Every single individual is learning how to use it and interpret it, what it's telling you. Your brain. Percy's not quite as clever as me. Or, well, I'm not as clever as him, actually. Um, but I, I like to uh, figure it out for myself and, and use my own body and the messages and, and the way I'm feeling personally. Because um, if you've got like a pulse monitor or something on, it's beeping away on your wrist. It doesn't know if you've had a hard day. It doesn't know if you've got a cold. It doesn't know what your circumstances are. But you do. And you can factor that in. Pace judgment. Uh, that's one of my strongest points because I've done it. I do it all regularly. Um, I know what time I want to do in sessions. I know what yeah. seven minute, six minute mile fe feels like, and I know what I'm capable of. And it's just through experience. Um, I am Miss Amateur Runner 2021. I know nothing about running other than one foot in front of the other gets you gets you gets it all over quicker, oh. <laughs> and then you can you can get back to base and do the jobs. Um, it's had to change a bit since I've been doing the ultras because um, I, it sounds really kind of conceited and I don't mean it to, but I, as a road runner in a marathon, the last thing you want to do is, is stop or slow down. In an ultra race, you've got to factor that in because you can't run uh, 100k without stopping at a checkpoint. You can't do 250 odd kilometers across the desert without stopping at checkpoints and adjusting if there is a problem. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's a laugh a minute, me. I mean, I, I went with my running. The only thing that really gets me out the door is the lack of time in terms of the fact that I know that time is very, very limited. And if I'm going to sneak out for a couple of hours, it's got to be when the animals are done and then I come back. So yeah, I, I, other than the time that I'm actually hunting around the house for something which resembles a pair of socks or something <laughs> to go running in, I don't actually think about it too much. And when you get to races and everybody's going on about UTMB points and this, that and the other, and I'm kind of sitting there in the background sort of not knowing what they're talking about, yeah. um, it's, it, I don't get too involved in it otherwise. I, I don't overthink things. I'm very, very raw. Well, that's all beautiful. And I love the fact you're just putting one foot in front of the other and, and you've put one foot in front of the other as a runner and you've got, is it three or four world records? I've got four world records. Four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what they're in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I am. I'm the fastest woman to run a marathon on every continent okay. um, and every continent and the North Pole. And um, every continent and the North Pole in days elapsed. And I'm actually the fastest woman ever to run a, mar a half marathon in an animal costume. Oh, <laughs> what, what kind of costume were you in? A cow suit. Ooh. And um, I've got a little bit of downtime. I'd uh, come back from um, an ultra stage race and um, I'd got a few weeks kind of twiddling my thumbs, nothing to do. And I thought, do you know what? I kind of fancy doing a road race. Uh, a to qualify for the London Marathon you've got to run a certain time yeah and um I thought well how do I kind of combine a few things so um I thought I'd, I'll run in my cow outfit try and bait a world record running as a cow and run a, camp, a qualifying time for London it dressed as a cow um and I remember it was in summer and I uh I was searching hard for a, a race which would actually 
qualify for Guinness because it's got to be AIMS, it's got to be like, you know, all accredited and you've got to have people with you. And it was kind of difficult to do. Um, So I picked the Midnight Sun Marathon in Tromso in Norway. And I'm setting off in my cow outfit, taking my cow outfit over there. And my mum said, are you sure this is a good idea for you? (laughs) And I'm thinking about it as I'm going. I'm thinking, no, I'll be fine. I will be fine. So long as it's not windy, cold and raining, which it's obviously not going to be at the midnight sun marathon in Tromso in the middle of summer, I will be fine. So when we got to Norway, the wind, the rain and the cold was absolutely unbelievable. And I sat in the hotel because it started in the evening and I'm looking out the window and all I'm seeing is mountains around where we were going to run vanishing under this kind of appalling cloud and rain and hail and wind. And I thought, oh, Lord, it's one of these out and back around the airport. It's so exposed. And I'm there in a big gaping cow outfit trying to do this. And I thought probably, you know, like one of those feelings that about 10K in a race, this was not a good idea. Yeah. This was not a good idea. Because the one thing I don't like uh, for my bad knee, I don't like it to get cold and I don't like it to get wet. It really does hurt when it gets cold and wet and it got cold and it got wet and the cow suit got heavy but I still did it so you know it was it was just another one of my bizarre experiences you know that it makes up the life of Fiona um but yeah so they're the world records I am I am quite um yeah I I, I say I'm quite proud proud of them I'm, uh, I'm proud of the the endurance I had to do them because it wasn't an easy an easy ask both logistics financial physical it was really really tough actually I mean uh, I thought that the good burgers at, uh, at um, the Guinness when I said I was going to do this uh, you know it's it, you know um, fastest woman at, at the North Pole and and um, every other continent I thought they'd just take my word for it kind of thing I'd enter races I'd go and I, I'd come back and I'd yeah. give them my times so it was nothing like that you know um I only decided to do the world records by kind of chance in that I've been running the big city marathons for a few years. As I've said, two a year with Berlin, you know, London. And I've been placed in kind of highly top 20 in Berlin and, and I couldn't do any more on the road. I couldn't do quicker than 238. I just couldn't do it. Um, so I was not getting... 238, just, just to stop for a sec. 238, that's like six minute pace. Yeah, that's six minute. Pay. I mean, that's that that's remarkable. You're pretty pleased with the 238. Yes, I'm I'm I'm, I'm over, I, to be honest with you, people ask a lot of the time, what's the hardest race you've run? Yeah. And they expect it to be, oh, it's Marathon de Sable. Oh, it's the North Pole Marathon. It's the fast road races to get your time down from 312 to sub three is a big ask. Sub three to sub 250. Bigger ask. Sub 250 to sub two, you know, the the gains are so marginal for the extra effort that goes in at that level. And I couldn't do any more than that. I knew I couldn't do any more than that. So then I looked to move on, mix it up or just walk away and do something else. So then I looked to going around winning marathons, breaking course records, bearing in mind I wasn't doing this for me. I was doing this to promote veganism. And although it was having some effect, um, I found the press and the media 
would very much ignore that one crucial thing about the fact that I was running. So they might write a story on the fact that, uh, you know, I've got an animal sanctuary, that I've got a disability, that I'm a firefighter, but never the fact that I'm out there doing this because I'm vegan and I want to show the world that it can be done. So, yeah, then I went off and I won marathons and I broke course records or whatever. Um, but still, there was that hesitancy, that reluctance to actually say this woman does it for this reason. Yeah. And it was very, very frustrating. And then one of my friends, and I'm very, always joke and say, if your friends suggest you do this, what do your enemies suggest you do, Fiona? Because are you sure they're your friends? Because it was, why don't you go and do the marathon, the Sable? It's the toughest foot race on the planet, or they like to bill it like that. That proves definitively how strong the vegan can be. And you would be the first vegan woman to do it. So I did that in 2012. I had a, a, a real problems with that. In um, 2012, you, yeah. you, you, you did that. Yeah. Yeah. I've done it three times for me. Wow. <laughs> I so, know. Wait, did you give that? I didn't know. I thought you'd done it once or twice, you know, three times. So did it get easier each time or more difficult? Yeah, or? it's kind of, kind of really weird, actually. Um, I went out there in my cavalier way that I go about things like, oh, I bet I'm doing that marathon, that, that marathon to Sable in a couple of weeks. And I better get some kicks for it. You know, I not really thought too much about it. I don't overthink things. I thought, you know, I'm, I can run a marathon. I'm sure I can get around that. Um, I It was tough for me because I was doing it as an ethical vegan, not just a plant-based athlete. So, you know, all the, especially nearly a decade ago, there wasn't the synthetic sleeping bags. There wasn't the, you know, the lightweight kit. And, you know, you have to carry everything you need for a week in your back from day one. You've got to carry You're everything. Completely 100% self-supported. Yes. Apart okay. from limited water, which they give you, you're completely self-supported. So, for instance, when we arrived at the race, I have got this ex-army sleeping bag, the only thing I could find that was synthetic. It was massive. I had to have a 30-litre backpack to support it. It was massive. Um, everybody else had got these tiny little things downfilled. They were just popping out and saying, oh, this one goes down to minus seven and it only weighs two ounces. Well, <laughs> mine's about goes to about 10 degrees and it's like 10 tons, you know. Um, but the problem the week before the race, um, I was unfortunate to, to fracture two toes at the sanctuary. A horse stood on my foot and fractured two of my toes. Um, then I'm left in this dilemma. Do you go to the race? Do you do the sensible thing and not go? Or do you do the ridiculous thing and go and try and do it? But I'm sure you, you, you and listeners will know, you know, you've trained, you, you want to go out there, you want to give it a go. You're never going to know if you don't actually go and stand on the start line. So I went out there. Um, I remember that they do say for the Marathon Sable, buy shoes a size too big because your feet will surely swell when you arrive in the desert heat. It can be well over 50 degrees. And unless you're used to that, your feet are going to swell. 50 degrees Celsius. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's very, very hot. Um, my, my right foot was swollen before I went out there because of the fractures. So I crammed my foot into my shoe. I couldn't buy bigger shoes because they'd all been stitched up to accommodate sand gaiters. The last thing you want in these races is sand in your shoes because that causes blisters. Absolutely. And in 212, um, one guy actually, when he came home from the race, had to have skin grafts on the undersoles of his feet. Oh. Got, it, it was so, they were so mashed. And I remember that on the long stage, um, we'd come to the tent, the kind of overnight resting spot. And I said to the guy that I was with, I said, Paul, would you have a look at my feet? Because I can't see very well with my head torch, which was appallingly uh, 
it just wasn't a very strong beam because I'd gone for a lightweight torch because I got such heavy sleeping bag. And he looked down at my foot and he said, well, I'm no doctor, so don't quote me on this, Fiona, but I think that's the bone sticking out of your little toe. Ah. <laughs> and, you know, the worst of it is you get so sucked into this whole thing that rather than thinking, oh, no, I'm going to pack up, like, this is dreadful, you think, oh, no, don't let the doctors on the race know. They're going to pull me out if they know. So yeah. I quickly bound it all up with the gaffer tape that I got around my kind of walking poles and just mundled through for the, for the – there was a marathon the next day. But I did really well in that because on the territory of relatively – they tend to, tend to make the marathon stage a little bit more of a running stage in MDS. I can do really well in that because I've got some good flat speed. So I got through to 2012, first big one to complete Marathon de Sable. And, and so um, I, let, let me just stop you for a sec for listeners that don't know about, I mean, exactly. So it's it's six days, is that right? And every day you yeah. run run basically a, a marathon, is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's six days. They've quite slightly changed the format now. It's It, it was seven days at the time, seven days of actual competitive running. Yeah. Every day you uh, run roughly-ish a marathon, um, but there's a double marathon stage. And the last stage on in 2012 was a much shorter stage, was it, but it was 15 kilometres of solid sand dunes, oh. which are, I mean, they are like monster dunes. And how... Um, how did your knee hold up on those sand dunes? Strangely enough, it was okay. Uh, I don't know if I just got so many other woes going on that the knee just went into like just it's just a list of problems I've got here. So it's just another one to add to it. Um, I loved it. I mean, I, I just love the whole experience. I I really so I, you th- so you thrive on a suffer fest. A really yeah, suffer fest, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I, I do. I, I, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. It's probably my. I, I, I think that I have no. I know I have no talent for running. So you've got to exploit what abilities you have got, and I do have an ability to push myself very hard, almost flipping it like you're enjoying it because you're enjoying it because you know it's actually improving your ability to get to the end game, which is actually do your best for the animals. The better runner you can be, the better race result you can get, the better you can promote the reason you're actually out there in the first place. Um, I was kind of um, in Marathon de Sable in 212. I did um, effect um, a, a rescue of a lady who was really, really suffering. I gave her a fireman's lift up a jebel because she was like stuck. I mean, she, she pulled out. She was, she was out of the race. But because of this um, compassion over competition, and that's the idea of this race, we're all in this together. And although obviously you're trying to do your best, we're all fighting this humongous challenge of the desert. Um, they offered me a place in the following year's race to come oh. back, hopefully without fractured toes and see what I could do. And I, I was like, you know, I, I, I was really up for it. I wanted to go back to MDS in 2013 and, and really hit it hard. But in the meantime, another of my friends had said, you know, well, you've got the medal. That's that's basically what people want from MDS. They want that medal to say, I've done the toughest foot race on the planet and I'm here to tell the story. Um, why don't you do the polar marathons? You know, why don't you go to the North Pole? Why don't you, you know, run a marathon there? And in my childlike and innocent equation level that's going on in my brain in the uk you know if if it's cold outdoors you come inside and say oh it's cold out there it feels like the north pole and if you're tired you say i feel like i've run a marathon so add the two together and that's got to be if i can get around a marathon at the north pole 
that's got to like really rubber stamp it. Vegan can do it, you know, fast, high, hot, hard, you know, whatever, cold. I yeah. can do it all. Um, I looked into doing the North Pole race, but it was prohibitive with regard to costings. So I put that on a back burner and thought, no, that's going to be for another another time in my life. And then totally out of the blue, the race organiser offered me a place in the race uh, if I would go and do his race. But it completely coincided with MDS in 2013. So I went off. I did the North Pole race. I didn't know if I'd be able to run that marathon. It, it was very, very cold. It's like minus 40. And um, I didn't have any trade i never do any specific training for these races i mean when i arrived at like long Yearburn, before they took us to the actual north pole because originally i didn't think it would be at the north pole i thought like this is just going to be a place in northern yeah. norway that we're just like for the sake of like splitting hairs we're going to call it the north pole because there's a lot of snow and it's very cold and it's very near the north pole but no actually at the north pole or as near as the russians could set the base up was santa claus there uh, no, unfortunately, Santa's back in Rovaniemi. I ran a marathon with him. Ah, okay. <laughs> but no, anyway, um, we we um, we arrived at the North Pole and I'm thinking, what have I done this time? This is really, really bad. And uh, because obviously landing on ice is a problem for a plane because it can cause the, you know, that like the tsunami underneath and the plane can just go into the ocean. They can't take all the competitors out there at once. So I went out on the first treatment and I'm laying in my tent thinking, oh, what have you done this time, Fiona? You, you Literally, your address is now Fiona Road, the North Pole, because <laughs> there's nothing here to get you out. If there's yeah. a problem, there's no plane, there's no nothing, you're on your own. I tend to, because I've got no kneecap, I, my knee can be a little bit unstable yeah. and I can dislocate it very easily. So I wasn't sure about dislocating it on ice I, that was a worry for me um I wasn't sure about running on ice I hadn't got any special shoes or anything I mean, like when you get there and you're like hearing stories that people have been like training industrial freezers with treadmills and I'm thinking oh, I haven't done anything I've only got these little, little like kids mittens a buffalo that are like ten dollars or you know I've got bought off the internet they've all got like you know um heated gloves and I'm thinking Blimey, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble here. But fortunately, um, there is no, there's no special formula to running in cold conditions. You go out, you yeah. warm up, and you maintain your pace. And if you maintain your pace, you don't get hypothermia, and actually, your body keeps you warm. It was brutal. I mean, it was three mile loops of um, oh. this lap. It was brutal. Um, and when you came into the warm tent um, to get a drink or anything, you can't carry anything about your person. Everything just freezes or disintegrates in those kind of temperatures. You have to cut your clothes off your head. You, you've got to be very, very careful. Very, very careful of getting um, frostbite. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it wasn't too bad. So what would you... Given your experience at the marathon, disable, and then also the the North Pole, do you prefer the hot or the cold? I love the desert. I love mm. running in the heat. I love it. I love the. I, I just love the experience of being out there and be privileged to be out there. Just you against you, literally. No excuses. No nobody to blame. You against you with your pack on your back. This is your whole world on your shoulders literally for a week. I just realized now I love the experience of handing over all the gadgetry 
and it's literally stripping it back to that raw survival, if you can call it, instinct of getting from A to B, surviving and being well enough to do it again the next day. Um, I Nine years ago, the world isn't the world it is now. Um, but even then, I, looking back in retrospect, I realised that was a big trigger for me, just being able to be out there challenging myself very honestly. Um, I, and it brings, it's brought me such wisdom and, you know, I, I came home that first time and I'm in the kitchen and I'm looking at my mum's turning the tap on the faucet on, you know, and um, I'm looking at it like spellbound. What are you looking at, Fiona? And I'm, I'm, it's a miracle. There is water coming out of that tap and I can drink it. And yeah. it's, it's not, I don't care if it's Perrier, sparkling, whatever. It's drinkable. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I feel quite, sometimes I feel very, I don't want to make myself out to be some martyr or something I'm not because I am nothing special. And some people live in these conditions every day. Mm. They don't, you know, they go back to a tent. They, that's all they've got. This was kind of a week in the desert and it was, it, it was very harsh conditions. Um, but at any point you can put your hand up and say, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go home. And you can do. Other people around the world can't do that. And if you take that wisdom back into your normal day-to-day -day life and always remember that and always have that at the forefront of your mind, it can be much more than a running race. It can be life-changing and life-enhancing experience. And that's what it was for me. Um, so when I went off to do the, um, the North Pole Marathon, after I'd won it and I'd placed on the podium with a man and, you know, broke the world record for the fastest time ever, a, a woman running that race in the North Pole, a lot of the guys there, because I, I, I'm not into that sort of running, I actually thought you would probably fall off the end of the earth if you tried to run past 26.2 miles. I was literally just a big city tarmac marathon doing it for a reason. I just wanted to promote veganism, so I wanted to be going into the elite enclosure or on the elite bus with Haile Gabri Selassie, who was very, very good to me during my road running career, taught me a lot. Um, lucky enough to spend time with him in Amsterdam when he was going for the world record. A very, very humble man himself. Um, and I, um, I, 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 I was, a lot of the guys said, you know, why don't you just do the world record? Why don't you just go to every continent, run a marathon? You're in the Antarctic race at the end of the year. You can, you, you're really good. You could do this. And I came home with a kind of rose-tinted spectacles on and thought, oh, you know, I could. I could go to every continent. I could do this. And then you kind of get back and you start working out the logistics of finance and time. And um, I left it on a back burner. It wasn't going to happen for me. But it was niggling away all the time that I, I although I got publicity when I came back from the North Pole, I was invited by the BBC to go up to open and close BBC breakfast show. This, you know, British woman's done this. They literally asked me not to mention the fact I was vegan on their show. Yeah. And so it's kind of, um, that's the only reason I'm there. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I'm not an adventure seeker. I'm none of those things. I was there with a very, very definite agenda just to prove, to show people not to force people, but just to make this a fact that, you know, if you do have any ideas that vegans are weak or can't sustain performance or can't operate in over endurance, I can. And you can, too, if you choose to take this lifestyle. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I put it on a back burner. So it was actually 
getting really, really difficult to find marathons around the world that I could go and fit in before I went to Antarctica. Um, I came to my parents and um, I asked them for help. They've got nothing left. Um, they've given everything to the sanctuary, um, everything. Um, but they agreed to um, remortgage their house for me to do it. And uh, I, uh, I thought I, I declared to, to the Guinness Book of World Records that I was going to do it um, and to get it accredited and, and make, you know, make my mission statement there. And they said, you know, that's great. Um, but they did have certain criteria. Um, you've got to um, take somebody with you. You've got to have a runner on either side of you to actually make sure that it is you that is running these races. Because we're not just going to take your word for it, because you could ask somebody in Australia to enter as you. And we won't know that, you know. Um, so the only answer was, I'm going to have to go, because I was going alone, and win or place in every race. And therefore, the race will then validate by virtue of the fact I'm on the podium yes. that you've actually done it. So that was the extra challenge for me to go and do that. And I was literally. And you were able to do that. Yeah. I mean, it was I had a funny experience going to Australia because I'm in the UK. And um, I, um, I popped over to Australia uh, for, and I was gone less than 96 hours <laughs> doing the marathon oh, and coming home to do the jobs. And I remember arriving in Australia and um, there are guys in the kind of um, arrivals hall, you know, sending you towards your baggage or where you need to go. And I'm wandering around looking lost. And um, he said, are you looking for the baggage from, you know, the flight you've come in on from Dubai? I said, no, I haven't got any hand luggage. I've already got hand luggage. And he said, oh, you've only got hand luggage. I said, yes. He said, do you live here? You're resident? No, 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 no. And it's, the conversation's going on. And um, he said, are you going on somewhere? No. And uh, he said, what are you doing here, basically? I said, I'm running a marathon tomorrow morning, but don't worry, I'm going home tomorrow night. And he just looked at me and said, you're telling me that you've come to Australia from the UK on a day trip? <laughs> and I said, well, actually, when you look at it like that, I have, yes. And he went, you better go. <laughs> you just better go. You better go. And so, um, yeah, it, so, it, yeah, I mean, I was fine. I don't think I was in Australia long enough to get jet lag. All right, gang, I want to share an Instagram message that I just got. This is from a gentleman. His name is George Lagos. And before I do, I want to just share a little side note here. He just happened to be the first customer to spot our new Plant Strong Bras, Chilies, and Stews inside his local Whole Food Market store that's in Wheaton, Illinois. And he did it. He found it after visiting both downtown Chicago stores to try and find the new products. So he was persevering. He was on the hunt for the new Plant Strong products and really appreciate that, George. He went on to share that he's been Plant Strong since 2019 when he saw my book my first book, The Engine 2 Diet, that was being sold at his local Whole Foods store. And at the time, he was in fantastic shape. He was working out six days a week. He weighed a trim, lean, and mean 165 pounds. But guess what? His cholesterol was a staggering 330. And one of the things that I tell people is it doesn't matter how hot your engine burns, you don't burn away cholesterol. It doesn't work, work that way, right? If you want to bring down the cholesterol, you got to bring down the saturated fat, 
the dietary cholesterol, the animal protein, and you want to be like hammering it with all the fantastic substances, the phytonutrients, the antioxidants that you get in whole plant-based foods. Now, since reading the Engine 2 Diet, he's gone all in and he said that he's not had a drop of oil since he started and his cholesterol is now right as rain and he's never felt better. And that to me is not surprising. And I want to appreciate and thank George for sharing his story and huge congrats on his success. Now, everybody that's listening, I want you to hear this. This is a participatory lifestyle. This is a participatory sport, meaning anyone that's out there listening, you can achieve these results not by listening to podcasts and not by reading books, although it's helpful, but by engaging with the lifestyle. I mean, you literally have to stick a fork in it and dig in. We want you up to your knees, waist, chest in this lifestyle. And I promise you, you won't regret it. So, Kale yeah to George and keep it plant strong. Thanks. Now, let me ask you, so you've done the marathon disables, you said three times. When was the, yeah. last, when was the last time you did it? 2017 when Keegan made the film. Wow. In 2014, when I'd done the world records, um, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd over, um, I'd ex- what I'd said I was going to do I went for one world record and I broke three because I got to run quickly as well and the media again ignored the fact that I was vegan they didn't want to do a story on it they didn't want to push it because I came back from Antarctica um, I had a again I won the race there and I did really really well Um, but it was coming up to Christmas and there was a lot of advertising in papers for the, you know, the, the turkey and the, all the kind of clotted cream filled food or whatever they sell. And they actually said, um, we rely on our advertisers for funding. We are doing a lot of adverts for the supermarkets Aldi and Lidl, which were trying to break into the mainstream market that's usually for Tesco and Sainsbury. And um, they said, we're not going to do a story on something which basically is flying in the face of what we're advertising and it it really broke me actually I couldn't get the interest because of being vegan if you like Um, so in 2014 um, I went back to Marathon Sable and just wanted to run it for myself and enjoy it Um, and um, I, I was doing that I, in the first three stages of the race. I was right up there with the top women, you know, sort of placing in the stages. But one of my tent mates, a guy called Mike Julien, had leukemia and he was on chemotherapy mm. and he was really struggling. I know he came back from the second stage in tears. I mean, every stage was taking me about four hours. He was right on cutoff at 11 or 12 hours. Oh. And he said, um, I can't do it. I cannot go out there again, knowing that I've got the long stage to do on day four. I can't do it. I can't be out there on chemo and everything. So I said, look, Mike, if you want to do 
this race that badly because I, in 2012, I'd been in a similar position. I'd, I'd, I'd got the broken toes. I desperately was, wanted to do it for a reason. Mike wanted to do this race to prove that having um, cancer didn't define him and it wasn't going to define other people. You can do anything. I said, you know, if you can get through tomorrow, which was just about a marathon stage of 40K, and you come back and you want to do the long stage, I'll chuck my race and I'll, I'll stay with you and I'll get you around it. And um, I must I must confess, I went flying around that day and I really, I really did enjoy it. I mean, the idea when you get back to camp in MDS and you're one of the first runners back um, and it's quiet and you've got time to, it's, it's a beautiful, a beautiful experience. And I was over and above fit enough to be able to be enjoying it. Mm. Um, I went, I'd gone to bed, I'd made my meal, I'd gone to bed and I heard some clapping at the, um, the finish line and it was Mike um, coming over the finish line and, and, and traditionally uh, people who have finished always tip out to greet and welcome the, um, the slower runners over the line and Mike came over the line and threw himself into my arms and said does your offer still stand for tomorrow because I want to do it oh. and I just said you know let's hit it and, and we uh, we stayed together and I got him through it and people say do you regret it because you were really really highly placed I went on to do very very well in the marathon stage the following day but I'd blown it I mean I'd been out there hours with him uh, yep. literally really struggled even remembering to take his chemotherapy no I don't regret it because it, uh, my reason for running is not just about winning it's being about the best I can and that being the best you can is being the best person you can in that moment it's not necessarily about being the quickest it's yeah. about doing your best and what is best and that was definitely the best thing I could have done for Mike is, is, is Mike is Mike still alive yeah yeah, Mike's still around. Yeah. Wow. yeah, he, made it, yeah. he made it through. That's fantastic. Yeah, he made it through and he really enjoyed it. And he actually, after getting through, he was just frightened about being out in the desert alone. And it is kind of scary. They do say MDS is probably the safest, most dangerous thing you can do. You're always monitored. You know what I mean? There's always somebody going to pick you up if you, I mean in 212 we had to let the flare off because somebody had a heart attack next to us and he went straight to Casablanca hospital he was put in an induced coma and he was he was let out you know for three days and then he was you know he was okay so there is a security net around you but you they allow you and encourage you to push yourself to your absolute maximum yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, Mike's still around. Um, I want to, I, I, I'd love to just, um, take a second and talk about your nutrition. So being, being plant-based, being vegan, mm -hmm. right. I'd love to know, like, what do you, what do you eat on a daily basis when you're, you know, at, at home on the farm sanctuary for breakfast? Are you like oatmeal porridge or uh, sweet potatoes? What does that look like? And then I want to know, like, in in the uh, marathon disables, what are you eating there while you're racing to, you know, feed yourself? Do you want me to tell the truth? Uh, tell the truth. Uh, no, I don't. Yes, <laughs> of course. Uh, right. Okay. The truth is, I only eat one meal a day in the evening. I never snack at the sanctuary. I never take. I never eat breakfast. I never eat lunch. I eat one meal a day in the evening, and that is the truth. And, and is it a big meal? Is it a big meal? No, 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 I don't eat copious quantity. I don't eat what people imagine I eat. I really don't. I And also I eat 
very basic foods like you know chickpeas beans rice carbohydrates i eat um yeah uh, oatmeal yeah it's got to be cheap because i've got this sanctuary i'm not i'm not asking people to feel sorry for me i've, I've got a lot of animals to consider and i consider them before myself um i have i, I remember when i was at a big international race in russia i was there with the kenyan athletes and um it was just before the sochi olympics and um we were being really fettered and um there was a press conference and after it they'd laid on a lunch for us and i said to one of the kenyan guys oh he said are you coming to lunch i said no i don't eat lunch and he said why is that and i kind of toyed with the idea of telling him and then i, I kind of said well I, I only eat one meal a day and he just looked at me and said oh yeah the warrior diet <laughs> and i kind of went yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 the warrior. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, the warrior. Intermittent fasting. Yeah, I'm, I'm a champion of it. It just fits in with my daily routine. I, You know what? In MDS, I can honestly say you never think about food. You are never hungry. Oh, well, I'm not anyway. I know, and the, 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 that's the main fear when people go. They've got like a 30 kilo pack full of food. I'm going to need loads of food. When you actually get out there, you never actually think about it. I don't eat breakfast. I really don't want breakfast. I get up. I, I do everything wrong. This is the point. I do everything wrong. I drink coffee and tea. I I I I don't I don't have this mega kind of I mean, people have asked me keto or paleo. I don't even know what they mean. I just eat what I eat. You don't want to know what those mean. Yeah, I um I just eat what I eat and I do what suits me. Um I do hydrate well. That's very important. Very yeah. hi- hydrated all the time. Oh, how, but how long have you been eating in that manner where you're eating one meal a day? 25 years. 25 years. Yeah, probably. I mean, it started. I mean, I used to work in London, uh, probably longer than that. Actually. I used to work in London. I used to train. I used to race bikes. And um, uh, it was bums on seat kind of job. Um, it was like you got to be at your desk by half past seven in the morning. And it was one of those jobs that it was merchant banking. You might not leave till four o'clock the next afternoon. It was really highly charged. Again, before you could send documents online you know you've got couriers cycling around london with bags on and that kind of thing you were waiting for documents sitting at your desk waiting for, for information to come in to, to 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 type it out so um i kind of used to train in the morning used to get up train go to work be there at half past seven full on charge day eat my meal when i came home and i found it really worked for me i'm, I'm not i'm not a food person I, I don't having said i'm not a food person I don't want to sound like some sort of, you know, Miss Goody Two Shoes, because I'm certainly not that. But I, I have reflected on people do find it kind of strange. I'm very disciplined. You never get me. It, nothing breaks my routine ever. I never uh, don't hit the goals I want to achieve, whether it be with a sanctuary, whether it be whatever I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm hardcore. Uh, when it comes like to, yeah, I you really am hardcore, hardcore. In, a, in a kind of Percy Bear way. I am very hardcore, but I don't, I, I, I'm very lucky. My mum and dad live with me. That's a blessing. They still live with me. Yeah. My mum still does all the cooking. Yeah. Do they, she, yeah. Do they, are they just so proud of what you've done with your life? Um, my dad is just like a bit, oh, it's a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah. He just doesn't, you know, he's just like, oh, what's she going to do next? My mum always said that she is, um, she's not kind of proud she's 
she's kind of humbled and she sometimes feels bad for actually giving birth to me oh. if, if that sounds strange because she thinks that the life I've chosen oh. has chosen for me has been too hard mm-hmm. um and um it, she does carry guilt honestly for that um but um she's fearful of me because I push myself to the maximum every day that's the only way I know how to get through a day is to push myself it's always been the same um but with regard to the food um I eat seasonal I eat local um I we 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 eat economically you know we 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 soak beans we you know we we have to we know mum's always done the cooking I don't buy any of the um fancy kind of vegan products that are available now because I've never had them I've yeah. never had a vegan ice cream because I've, I don't crave ice cream I've, I don't know what ice cream is I don't want to know particularly or yogurt <laughs> I'm not saying that that isn't great for people who who do and it's the great you know all these things you know are great initiators to people transitioning but for me I, I don't need it uh, so I, I don't buy it why would I I don't yeah, so do you have more of a savory tooth than a sweet yeah, tooth? Yeah, yeah, I do. Especially in the desert when you uh, you go oh. out there and you think, oh, I'm going to need all this. And all. It's just, your taste buds just completely change. So, I mean, I've sat in the desert and I know you kind of guilt in yourself. I know you should eat something for breakfast. So I take these little 50p, you know, really cheap flapjack bars, like 480 calories. You walk around the supermarket before the MDS and you go in, mom what about those are they vegan yes how many calories uh 370 i'll oh, put it back there's not enough and people are not in supermarkets that kind of oh i don't want that it's too many calories you're like literally walking around saying how many calories has that got in it oh yeah put some of that in i need more calories you know uh, but i i sit and looked at like one of these little mar baker flapjack bars for about an hour trying to stomach eating it like working with this for an hour and I can't get it down I just don't crave it you do lose weight I lose about 10 kilos in the desert wow so that's about 20 what 22 pounds yeah what about what about uh do you ever do you ever experience bonking have you ever experienced bonking no um I'm very well trained for instance in um wow in in a marathon in any marathon I've ever run I uh, I only drink water I, I, I never take on anything but water. My mentality is if you don't train with it, don't race with it. Yeah. I, and I realize now I, I have literally gone from the gut with this. I've never had any advice with my running, as you can probably tell. Any coach would have gone, no, you're going to die. But um, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Some of the training sessions I've done, uh, you know, running, I've gone out crying because I think not in pain, just in the fact that can I get through this? Am I going to be able to mentally, you know, it's pouring down with rain, it's freezing cold. Um, I've got 28 miles to run on the road. I've got nobody with me. It's going to have to be mind over matter. I've really got to force myself for this. Um, I train with kind of a semi kind of um, uh, not dehydrated, but I, I don't indulge myself when I'm training. I make sure that I'm well prepared for absolute race conditions where I can function a little bit dehydrated. You're going to be dehydrated in a marathon if you're extending yourself and you're going to certainly get some level of dehydration in the desert. Uh, so when I run, when I train, I, I don't carry water. What, I, I, what, what gym are you a member of where you do your, your, uh, your weight training and all your strength training? Uh, the gym of Tower Hill Stables. There it's actually go. a treadmill. Yeah, I don't go to a gym. You need to start getting memberships there for people that can also strength train. 
Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, to be quite frank with you, um, I'm kind of built like a brick, you know what. I am <laughs> very big on the upper, very defined, very lean on the upper body. And people say, do you do weight training? And I'm kind of tempted to say, yes, but I don't. I don't do any, but bearing in mind, um, I literally, I was working out, I, I probably carry about a ton of food a day to the animals every day. I've got to manhandle these bags all the time. Very physical, looking after cattle, looking after horses, you know. Um, I also firefight, so I'm, you know, unrolling and rolling hoses. So I, I live a very physical lifestyle. Can we, can we talk about that for a sec? So you're, yeah. you're a firefighter. I used yeah. to be, I used to be a firefighter. Yeah. Where, where and how long have you been a firefighter? Quite a long time. I, I joined the fire brigade because um, I was out running. It's retained. We, we work a retained service here as well as the whole time. There is a retain for local communities. So you're on call when needed rather than sitting in a station, you know, waiting. I think in the US, I was in Antarctica with a lady who she said certain parts of the US work the same system in rural communities. So are you so paid, is this paid or voluntary? It's paid. Okay. But it's not paid on it, you know, kind of you paid on the amount you need to do with a retainer. If okay. you get my drift amount. So I'm running along and a man stops next to me, winds his window down and said, Oi, you, you look fit. Have you ever thought about becoming a firefighter? And I looked at him and thought, not really. It's not what I think about every oh, I must do do the shopping, see to the animals, become a firefighter. And it wasn't like that on my list. But he said, Look, you look fit. We're really struggling to get um local recruits who were fit enough to join the brigade um come down and see what you think to it went down to the local station and of course fell in love with it yeah it's you yeah. know what i mean i was the only woman uh, in the whole division it was you know back in the day 20 years ago it was not you know the thing that women were doing um again um i went for my induction course and um there was a little bit of um a situation where we were on the drill ground, we were rolling hoses, and um, the tea lady brought out a tray of tea with milk in it, you know. I, I obviously don't drink milk, and I kind of took a rain check, but, you know, the sub-officer kind of persisted with it, and I just asked for a glass of water. And um, he said, look, why don't you just drink the tea? She's made it. And I said, well, I, I don't, I'm a vegan. And he literally pushed his face right into mine and said, the last one of those we had down there lasted three hours here just remember that but he was a man and I thought all right we'll check this vegan woman out because she ain't going home and um, I passed <laughs> and I got in and um, it's just you know I, I, I am more physically bent you know in terms of I enjoy that kind of rough tough stuff where a, a, lot of, a lot of women don't perhaps I don't know but this is just me I don't define as anything I define as Fiona me this is what I do um, so I got the physical lifestyle going on so I don't really weight train, uh, I do no. a bit of core strength, you know, press ups and stuff like that, but nothing much. And I train on my um, treadmill yeah. because I can't run on a, uh, on a, a track. Yeah. Or what are, so what are you doing these days? Are you, do you have any motivation to do any more racing? How much longer do you want to be a firefighter? Well, I'm, I've took a rain check from that at the minute because I'm training. I'm running for England next month in the 10K and the half marathon. And then I've elites qualified for the London Marathon. So I'm off on the elite start in the London Marathon. Um, wow. I, w I was entered in Marathon de Sable as well, but that coincides with London. And I think with travel arrangements as they are, 
yeah. it's going to be a, a challenge, you know, with the quarantine and all that, getting back from Morocco. Um, so I'm going to go um, try and break a world record uh, for age group in the um, 10K. What's your age group? Uh, 50 to 54. So I've got to run under 36 minutes. So I'm, I'm on pace for that now. 36 minutes for a 10K. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping to run about 35 something, which was yeah. well, I think, within my compass wow. and um, then the half marathon and then London. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do in London because I'm on the elite start. I'm obviously not going to run 238. Um, so I had thought about just trying to break three hours in my cow outfit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, that would you know bring publicity to the cause which I run in the cow outfit to bring attention to the cruelty of the dairy industry. What what uh, does the cow outfit? Doesn't that make you overheat? Uh, well, it's not that bad. Uh, it's not that heavy. I mean, it's uh, London's in October, so hopefully it won't be mega hot. Having said that, I the first the first foray trip out in the cow outfit, I was just experimenting with it. If you get my drift, and I decided to do a hundred k in it. Now, this is called Race to the Stones. And this is um, a, a, a race that you could, most people split into two days. They run 50K, they camp, they run another 50K. So I decided to do it in the cow outfit, hit it hard just to raise awareness. And um, I remember going to the start line. Oh, it was the hottest day of the year. And I've got my cow outfit on. And one of the race organizers said to me, you're not running in that, are you? I said, yes. He said, well, please tell me you stay up stopping overnight. I said, oh, no, no, I'm in it hard. I'm going the whole day. And, you know, I'm not brought all the overnight stuff. I've been getting it done, getting the job done and getting it done quick. The only problem is I did make a fundamental error in that I, I felt too um, embarrassed to go out the front of the race in the cow outfit. You can't really go amongst elites saying, oh, don't tread on my tail or, you know, you know, you've got my cow outfit. It looks a little bit insulting. And it started, it was a very thin start. So I decided to start at the back because I put, you know, uh, all stickers on my cow outfit, like, you know, love cows and peace and all that kind of thing. And um, unfortunately, I had to spend the, the first 40K wending my way through other runners. Um, I did have an accident in, in terms of the fact that at 15k a bloke fell on me uh, because he I don't think he liked the idea of running behind a cow right. we were going through a very thin wood and he tried to get past me and push me over and um, I kind of semi dislocated my knee so I got like another 85k to go on this really bad knee and I asked the doctors at the next checkpoint would you please put some of that kinetic tape on this bad knee because it's really bad and they took one look at it and the bloke the doctor said to me you haven't got a kneecap have you I said no he said I'm not taping it he said I'm going to do you more harm than good if you want to carry on you're just going to have to carry on like you are and um I thought, okay, I'll, I'll carry on for as long as I can. I was more worried, actually, when I got knocked over about Percy because I lost him. So oh. I'd spend time looking for him. He'd fallen out my little bag. Anyway, um, I got to the finish line and I placed in, in the race, which I was really pleased at. Um, so the cow suit isn't that primitive. Um, it's worse in the wet because it gets, like, really heavy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's my plan. Let me ask you about your shoes. Do you have any special shoes that you wear that – you know, have been made specifically for you? Yeah, I mean, for the ultra races, Will's Vegan Shoes made a pair. 
yeah. of um, that kind of the world's car first carbon neutral shoe, really, really hard wearing trail shoe. They're from Will's Vegan Shoes. And they, I actually wore them in the Atacama Crossing. And a lot of people's shoes got really beat up in there. But yeah. mine were fine. In fact, I was actually considering wearing them again for MVS, but I sort of better not because you're never quite sure of the integrity after a week's race. And um, I won in, in them. So I'm, 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 yeah, they're really, really good. Is that is that still available online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still available online from Will's Vegan Shoes. And and thirty percent of the purchase goes to goes to the animal sanctuary. Is That's that right? it. Yeah. So it's a real win-win situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, my running has always been a bit tongue-in-cheek. I know I'm not a great runner. In fact, when Keegan Keegan made the film about me, and he kept sending cuts of the film to me to show how he was getting on, and I couldn't look at him. I mean, who wants to look at the cells on a big screen? Who wants to see this? I, mean, I don't want to see myself. It's bad. It's bad enough looking in the mirror occasionally, but catching a glimpse when you walk past the mirror. But I mean, honestly speaking, who wants to see the self on screen? And I remember Keegan called me out to Los Angeles for the film premiere because Rich Roll had narrated it and all this kind of thing. And Rich came over to me and said, you know, oh, great film. You must be really proud of it. I said, don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Well, <laughs> and he said, you, you haven't seen it? Said, no, no, no. I was going to do the old kind of, um, oh, uh, when the credits got rolling at the start, drop something in the cinema. And then about an hour later, come, I found it. Oh, I missed the film. But he wouldn't let me. So he kind of dragged me down to sit next to him at the front of the cinema. And I kind of had to kind of compose myself and think, Fiona, how bad can this be? You know, you've got all the gear on, you've got all the setting. You could, Keegan's a really great cinematographer. It just can't be that bad. And then I saw myself and I thought, it's that bad. <laughs> it's that bad. And I realized that I limp when I run and, and I look atrocious. And when I was in um, Amsterdam in running a marathon there, I was really fortunate to be able to spend a lot of time with Halle Gabriel-Selassie. He invited me to go out running with him. It was a fantastic. And um, I'm kind of running at the back of their training group. You know, they're having conversations, trying to talk to me. My eyeballs are literally on my cheeks, hanging out, you know, trying to keep up. But they're trying to train in pace. And um, I realized... I am, my feet are on the ground enough to have run with talented runners and I know I haven't got any talent. So I realise I've got to exploit the things that I have got um, in terms of, like I say, I, I, work, I do train very, very hard. I, I couldn't imagine ever uh, hurting or being cruel to another living creature apart from myself. And I can really pace myself. Well, what I, what I think you are such a beautiful soul and I love that there really is no hidden agenda here. It is, you are doing this a hundred percent for the animals. There's just, there's, there's no, it seems like there's no stopping you. And, you know, so many people, oh, I think are so, you know, there's, there's part of me that sees what you're doing. And it's like, oh my gosh, there, there is somebody out there that is giving up everything, everything for the animals. I mean, I had, a couple of weeks ago, I had Gene Bauer on the podcast, you know, Gene from yeah, yeah, yeah. Farm Sanctuary over here yeah. in the States. And, um, you know, he said something really beautiful, which is, you know, collectively by just a, by not adapting this lifestyle, right? This cruelty-free lifestyle and kind of putting our, burying our heads in the sand. It's almost like we are losing the best part of us as, as, as humans, which is our empathy. Yeah. right in our compassion yeah. and so you have that in 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 spades i just can't imagine do the do the animals show you love for everything you're doing for them i mean do you feel like they 
they they know that they're, they're in a special place and i think they know they're safe and uh, the, uh, there was another little film made about me by two friends and it was like spontaneous questions and yeah. he's uh, john said to me if the animals could speak what would you want them to say to you and i said well i know what i wouldn't want them to say to me i wouldn't want them to say thank you for giving them the what is rightfully theirs. For me, mm-hmm. being blessed with the opportunity to be able to help them is enough. And you know what? Although I, yeah, okay, the lifestyle is extreme. It is exhausting sometimes, but I honestly feel honored to be able to do it. And they are giving me back so much more than I'm giving them. Um, um, yeah, the animals show me love by their behavior towards each other. I like my the animals here to be kept in as, as natural environment as possible. In other words, in terms of releasing them back to each other, I don't expect to anthropomorphize them or for them to behave like many humans. I want them to be able to be free to be themselves. And so, you know, like a giant herd of cattle with young and old mixing together. I've got Highland cattle here, the ones with the huge big horns. And there is a little story that um, a few months ago, I was asked to take in by a farmer, another um, Highland steer, uh, a boy cow, basically, that literally was living in a herd but it was a herd of all the cattle were his own age and he was very intimidated by it. it kept escaping and the guy was thinking of having him put to sleep he said he needs to be in a natural herd environment he said you're the only one I can source in the country would you consider it I said for sure so Bart came, Bartholomew is called, and I've got my Highland cattle range from 20 years old to a few months old. Um, and um, I just put Bart in there and they just looked up and they as if to say, come on, mate, you're safe here. And he fitted in without any problem at all. You wouldn't even tell that he's new to new to the gang, as I call it. And they are so accepting of each other. And that's because they feel comfortable in their environment. And that's enough thanks. That's all the thanks I want. The only thanks I want is to go out there and see them happy, well and safe. And that's everything to me. Um, and you can see that, you know, although I can help a, a tiny few animals, that's where the, the running came from because I want to be able to I don't want there to be a need for sanctuaries I don't want there to be a need to rescue pigs off abattoir lorries I don't want to get a call in the middle of the night from a, a panicked lady that um, a, a pig has escaped from the slaughterhouse it's in her garden and she's got the police for trading standards and the slaughtermen banging on the door and she can't bear to let this pig go back can I get over there can I help can I offer it a refuge I don't want that to be happening I don't want there to be slaughterhouses I don't want to be the exploitation and it is i don't when when you're vegan not so much now but people used to say oh do you want a piece of cake oh you can't have it can you fiona you're vegan but the point is yes i can have it but i choose not to that's the difference i choose not to i choose this lifestyle and you know now uh, my, uh, my age well into my 50s i'm thinking to myself look at the recovery I've got to take no medications I'm still competing on the start no age group you know references I have qualified for the elite start of the London Marathon um how how much more can you do to convince people or introduce them to this life it is sustainable and I will say that when I was hospitalized um having the operations in my teenage years uh, veganism was aligned to an eating disorder and my mum was accused of child abuse for allowing me to be vegan and she said the cruelty would be if I lied to my daughter now or refused to um, accept this is the person she is in later years that would be the cruelty 
involved there's no cruelty in allowing her to allowing her to be vegan allowing her to follow a heart allowing her to do what's right and my parents weren't vegan or vegetarian i have to say um but um it was like yeah but what what's she going to be like in 10 years time she's going to have a brittle bone she'll bits are going to be falling off her and she's not going to make old bones you know and here i am not just making old bones but really achieving and still achieving still running 100 miles a week still training for road marathons still doing three sessions speed a week still recovering wow you're still doing 100 miles a week that's incredible. And the, the, the main thing is that I, I, because as I say, there was a bit of controversy. Do you go to Ma M Marathon de Sable and try and run that really well? And I was tipped to like get up there and place in MDS because, you know, I, I, I'm much more au fait with what the actual thing requires. The only thing I can't do with running, I can't run downhill. So I have to make all my time up running uphill, like a little, and then on the flat. Um, descending is difficult with my knee. It's really hard. Um, but um, I kind of, well, how do I train for MDS and just in case a road marathon? So I, I went back to my road running program because if you're running for an elite road race you're running about 100 miles a week you're putting the miles in but i have to put the speed session in to be able to get the, the cadence and to be able to get you know the sub three hour yeah so yeah i've just done my speed session it was particularly brutal <laughs> oh my gosh are you, are you done running for today are you, you have... no i've got another recovery run to do tonight so I've oh, got gosh. An hour so what are you gonna do tonight. are you gonna wear are you gonna wear a headlamp um, it probably won't be quite dark enough for a headlamp, but yeah, I just put, I, I will take a head torch and some reflective clothes and just go out and, and do do the recovery runs. I actually enjoy it. The, the running is time for, uh, you know, during the pandemic and the lockdown in the UK, things become quite confrontational and quite kind of um, supercharged, everybody anxious and fearful, not knowing what's going on. I've elected to spend my time not, rather than with confrontation, more contemplation, you know, thinking about things. And my running time is that time. Not when my eyeballs are hanging out on the treadmill and I'm really pushing hard, but more in the evening when I'm out and there's nature and I can hear the birds yeah, or yeah. the wildlife. That's what I like to, to think and plan for the following day and realize oh. how absolutely blessed I am. Yeah. Do you ever watch Netflix? No, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't really watch watch um, watch 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 too much watch the, TV. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, um, do you, do you like I to like, read? Do you like to read? I do. I do. Re I, I I like to work. I don't I, I, I kind of was trying to explain to Keegan and say I don't really enjoy the conventional way of enjoying myself right. what do I do for downtime I'll come and write to my you know try and think about some you know a way of raising funds for my sanctuary in Russia I'll 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 um, you know at the moment obviously we're trying to help my friends in Kabul um, you know and that's another point I make with them um, the diet i don't fixate too much on my diet because but i do realize i'm very very lucky that i don't live um with food insecurity i i know there will be a meal for for me um i i know that there aren't bombs flying overhead and i'm not frightened for my life i sit down and and i i, I consume food that's prepared with love with the love of my family around me that they're, they're very important things i do believe that people overlook and um i realize also that there are you know people are always on this unattainable treadmill if i buy that if i have that if i do that i'll be happy um but i realize my biggest lesson is to tell people 
life won't ever be perfect. That's not wrong. That's just part of life. There's got to be bad for there to be good. They've got to be ups for there to be downs. You know, that's just a natural cycle of life. There will be perfect moments within life. And they come from the most unconventional places. And it's learning how to um, identify them. So, for instance, a perfect moment for me might be walking up the fields and suddenly there's a shard of sun come on your face and it feels warm and you look up and you see the cattle grazing happily. That's just a perfect snapshot of life. That's that's a perfect moment. Um, but I, I think sometimes people fixate. They think it's 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 bad to feel down but if you don't feel down you'll never feel up you'll never feel you know if you don't feel sad you won't feel happy these are natural emotions that yeah. we're kind of overlooking yeah yeah that is all so beautifully said let me ask you this so at the end at the end of a really satisfying day do you like to pour yourself a bath or take a shower oh bl- uh- Oh, I won't have a bath um, because uh, I, I get bored in the bath. You know, I'm just like in, out. You know, it's like so boring. You know, what am I going to do? In it? Um, I'm like, sometimes I come in and my mum says, you better go and have a shower. I've one. And she went, what, like two seconds? Yeah. <laughs> I I'm not, I, 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 I'm really, I, I, I don't get a buzz from the things I get a buzz from, other people get a buzz from. I, I, for instance, I've never been to the hairdressers. I've never been to the hairdressers. It's like we had a, a very, very major television channel here to do. Oh, it were awful. <laughs> they came and it was like, um, can we look through your wardrobe to see what you'll be wearing? And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord, my wardrobe is on the floor of my bedroom uh, in the corner. Uh, and then she's saying she's looking at me and, think, and I can see she's thinking this is hopeless. And um, she's going, do you have any particular foundation you wear when you I'm like, oh, I haven't got a piece of makeup anywhere. I don't know what to do. It's like really bad. I really am the person I say I am and I probably it seems like a, like a childlike innocence that I yeah. I just am this person and I I truly believe in what I do and I truly live my life this way and Keegan when he came and he was talking about Percy for people who've watched the film they'll know who Percy Bear is and he's going it's an amazing you know amazing you know that you you kind of use this little bear for this very integral kind of, it's making it out to be something more than it is. And I'm going, I just like him. I like teddy bears and I like his face and um, he's my alter ego and I hide behind him. So, you know, um, but yeah, this is, yeah, always smiling, you know, and I am just supercharged. I don't, I don't, I don't crave the things other people crave. I don't have fancy clothes. I don't, all my running stuff. We, we In the UK, we have things called charity shops. I don't know if you have them in the US, but um, most most of my running stuff is bought sourced from charity shops, apart from my shoes and my socks, which I'm careful of because of my knee. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing, nothing at all that I indulge myself in. I don't enjoy having fun if you get my drift but I do have fun I've got very great inner contentment I know where I am I know what I want to do I know what gives me the greatest satisfaction is coming in at night and just literally falling into bed and thinking I couldn't have done anymore yeah I've given it everything you usually fall asleep within two minutes yeah in fact sometimes I mean it's been that hard when you know when I was really hitting it hard for the um for the road marathons I used to eat my evening meal in bed I'd literally have to go just grab my meal and go to bed I'd be that tired and I'd fall to sleep with it in my mouth 
<laughs> coming out of my mouth. I, I was that tired, you know, literally. It's it's it, it's been a challenge. It's been tough. Um, I've pushed myself very hard. I'm very, very proud to say everything I've done in sport, I've done very honestly, just yeah. through hard work. Yeah. Um, I've never taken any enhances, any shortcuts, anything. It's been very, very important to me. This is done very, very honestly. And um, could I have been any quicker? No, I don't think I could, because I think that the, the key that I've had, rather than a sports drink or a massage, has been an inner passion, that drive that not many people can be blessed with. I'm not, it's kind of a life and death thing. Like, you know, a gun to your head and you can really perform, but the gun hasn't been at my head, but it might as well have been because it's at those, at the heads of those that I actually do put above myself. Um, and it sounds a little bit kind of glorified, but that's the raw way I've looked at it. Yeah. If I can place in the Berlin Marathon, if I can, you know, be filmed or photographed or interviewed in the elite enclosure with Harley Gabrislassie, that's actually what I want from this race, because I know that everybody's looking. And whether subliminally or not, they're associating the vegan runner with being one of the best runners. So yeah. I don't need to tell them that. Did you have you ever seen the documentary that came out two years ago called The Game Changers? Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, I was caught from it. <laughs> what do you mean caught, caught from it? I um, I was I was the first person they actually filmed for that oh, in 2013. Nice. Nice, nice. James came over and filmed me for it, yeah. and um, he went back to LA and he couldn't get the funding. But as soon as they got the funding um, in 2015, he contacted me with Louis and said, we want to come over and we want to film you. Um, and they spent three days at the sanctuary filming, filming the running and that sort of thing. Unfortunately, I got cut out because it just didn't fit the message of the film. Oh. Um, and I get that. I get it. Uh, you know, um, I, it's really, really difficult because I come at it from a bit of a unique angle. And I think it just didn't fit what they were trying to achieve with that with that particular film um but yeah i i yes yeah, so you, you know yeah, so i know, you know about it <laughs> well matt and and to to the point that you're doing trying to let broadcast out to the world that listen mm -hmm. you can be vegan and eat plant-based mm -hmm. and be at the top of your game the best of your game mm -hmm. and really that's that's what the, what the uh, the game changers did and it really helped move the needle it's now the most watched documentary on the planet yeah i mean it's a, it's a it's a great uh, uh, you've got to appeal to a certain audience you know you've got to know your audience and to be honest with you my uh, you, you no one person is going to change the world there isn't one formula to change the world and i do realize that my message is a little bit specific for some people don't want to live like this and i fully accept that um this is as a path which has chosen me rather than i've chosen it if you get my drift so um what i don't really care whatever triggers someone you know um i can't be somebody i'm not i can't be false i can't i can't pretend i'm not a, a flashy person i'm not it's not a sexy lifestyle that i'm selling it's it's really hard and um for some people that that wouldn't trigger them to they probably just think i was a lunatic basically how, um how many how many different farm sanctuaries do you have or that you're a part of um well i've got the one in russia 
um, that's mainly dogs. Um, but we are proud to say that we we actually got bullfighting banned in Moscow many, many years ago. Uh, they were they were intending on having bullfighting, um, you know, as a quirky kind of. Uh, unfortunately, the we rescued the last two two cows, um, but they were they insisted on delivering them to us um, themselves, the people that had them, and they brought them with their necks broken. Um, so, you know, um, that wasn't ideal. And the one in Kabul um, and uh, one in Kiev. Um, wow. So I try to, uh, you know, people write, to, I mean, one of my, um, when I was in Russia for the marathon, um, part of the world record, I have to say, people do ask me, what's the country you've been most welcomed in and recognized in? Definitely Russia. Wow. Um, yeah, I've had exempt, I mean, wonderful. And you know what? I was in Omsk um, for the marathon. It's the biggest marathon. It's a bronze standard marathon. Uh, it's bigger than Moscow. And um, I was waiting for the presentation, the prize presentation. And uh, my friend was interpreting for me. And she said she was telling me that this great woman of great strength and, you know, was, was coming onto the podium. And it was a big, big crowd. And I'm thinking, wow you, you know who's it getting up there <laughs> and um and then they call me and um i thought crikey if they think you're tough in siberia you've got it going on you know kind of thing but at the press conference for the iaas um i when we'd arrived in Omsk, I'd, I'd only gone for a very, very short period of time. I kept going through time zones. And when we arrived eventually at nine o'clock uh, the following morning, the day before the race, I was so tired. I, I, you know, like when you want to cry, you're that tired. You just literally cannot, you can't do any more with travel. I went to, uh, went to bed. And after a couple of hours, the phone rang. And it was a desperate plea from a lady with a sanctuary, a dog rescue in, in Omsk. And... Uh, she said, would you come as like an ambassador to see us, you know, if we can get a newspaper reporter here, would you come and kind of endorse the sanctuary from a Western perspective? Because obviously in Russia, and I don't blame these people for this, I never blame, I never judge, I don't know people's circumstances. People forget that a decade before that, it was practically illegal or certainly frowned upon to not eat meat in Russia, because obviously it was considered an imperialist thing to be to be vegan or vegetarian. So um, it's a completely, completely different mindset. We now do a lot of education in Russia, but we go to schools to do it. Uh, trying to educate people who've lived in terrible, terrible hardship is, is very, very difficult uh, for the older generation. And anyway, when I was in OMS, they said, we beg you if you could in any way use any media just to mention our name and um, at the press conference I was asked why did you come choose this marathon to, to run and I was able to talk about the, the rescue and from that they got a municipal grant wow. and that's that's uh, just an amazing thing and they were oh it was so beautiful they were all there at the finish line waiting for me to thank me and I hadn't done anything I just use literally a little bit of a voice I've got, I haven't got much of a voice to be able to help what a bigger blessing can be rather than just to help yourself and grab, help others. That's what the message is mainly. You might think it's a sacrifice to go out there and work hard or do something for others, but actually, ultimately, I know the rewards I've got mm. from doing this and having this lifestyle are far greater than any physical material thing could ever give me. And I am, I know that. Um, so yeah, I, I will help, you know, I mean, obviously in Brazil, I've got people that I help. I'll help wherever I can, but my, my abilities are limited. I don't have that kind of reach or exposure. Yeah. So winding down, what can people do that 
are listening to this are just moved to want to help and give, what can they do to help you with your farm sanctuary? Where can they go? Uh, well, go to the website, Tower Hill Stables, or at the Instagram site at Tower Hill Stables, or Facebook, Tower Hill Stables. I am going to be honest with you. Yeah. I, uh, I don't, I, I would say I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big um, social media person. Percy does it all. Um, but they can contact me online through the usual portals of Facebook or Instagram, Tower Hill Stables, and it comes up. Uh, and um, just get in touch, reach out. I. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I feel so ashamed because everybody always asks me uh, how to contact me. Uh, it's uh, Oaks Fiona at, at Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is. Yeah. It's not natural for me to want to ask people. I want them to go out and make a decision on their plate. Uh, when I, I remember when I, I, I came placed in the London Marathon, there was a beautiful image of me running up the mile alone. And, you know, I look good and I'm resplendent in my vegan runner vest and there's a helicopter above me. And um, a vegan group in Sweden wrote to me and said, we are begging you, can we use that image of you? But we don't, um, we can't put your name on it. It's for a billboard poster. We just want that image. And um, I said, yeah, I don't want Fiona Oaks to be famous. Mm -hmm. I want the word vegan to be familiar to people and accepted by people and truly so i'm supposed to reel off uh, all these fancy oaks dot fiona and shower hill and it doesn't come naturally it doesn't come naturally to walk in a room and want to be the center of attention it doesn't come naturally to go anywhere and want to take a selfie picture of myself yeah. i don't, truly don't do it for that i don't care if no one ever hears of me my name I just want positivity surrounding this message to get out. It's not about me. It's about the message. SanctuaryTowerHillStables.com yeah. can be helped, obviously, financially. Um, I put all my own money, anything we've got. My parents have put everything in. All the pensions go into it. Everything they've got goes into the feeding of the animals. Um, but other than that, I want you to go out there and lead a happy and healthy vegan life and respect all life, human life, animal life, and realize that we're all so intricately connected, the planet, the environment, each other. Um, I just want us to be good to each other. And, you know, as I say, um, learn to live alongside, learn to, you know, rather than always fight and shout, you know, be connected and realize that we're all very, very similar. We all feel pain. We all feel the same emotions, whether you're in Afghanistan or America or Algeria. We're all fundamentally human beings and the animals are all animals and they all suffer. So let's not make them suffer anymore. Fiona? This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for everything that you've imparted for, to, to me over the last 90 minutes. It's um, you do it in such a, just an open candid Fiona, just strip it all back. Here's, you know, here's, here's what it is yeah. way. And, uh, and we all can learn a great lesson from you. So thank yeah, you. I, thank you. I'm sorry. I'm not more professional. I'm sorry. I'm not more, you know, you know, but this is just who I am. And I never wanted to change. I wanted to be who I, you know, keep it real. We, we need more people who are hundred percent authentic and that you are. Thank you. So, so, Thank you so much. And man, get out there. Have a nice evening run. I will do. You take care. Keep, <laughs> yeah. Engine two, keep it plant yeah. strong. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think that all I can say after hearing Fiona is, wow. I mean, wow. And, and thank you, Fiona, for absolutely everything that you are doing for humanity and for the sanctity of life for the animals. You are, <laughs> you are such an inspiration. You put it out there and are all in like nobody else. If you guys are interested in learning more about Fiona's work with her animal sanctuaries, visit the Fiona Oaks Foundation website or the Tower Hill Stables website. And of course, we'll have the links in the show notes to both at the episode page on plantstrongpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you sharing your stories and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true? I'd love to hear about it. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.